With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. And the Attorney General and the local district attorneys to interfere in our elections at a level that our country and few countries have ever seen before. They're cheating, they're crooked, they're corrupt. These criminals cannot be rewarded. They must be defeated. You have to defeat them. Have to defeat them. Because in the end, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I'm just standing in their way. Here I am. I'm standing in their way. And I always will be. There you go, Mike Murphy, the first man in history to run on his own indictment. <laughs> he's, he's taken down the criminal justice system from the inside. You know, he's gone <laughs> undercover here like Jimmy Trafficant. You know who sounds a little defeated to me is him. You know, well, I don't know. He's fighting, but uh, I think he, we'll, he feels we'll, the, we'll go through our weekly we'll see. Yeah, oh, yeah, our, our usual Fred and Ginger routine. Yes. But to, as I try to correct your backwards-looking attitude on Trump, but more importantly than all of that, we have a, a, a Swiss army knife of political uh, insight and acumen yeah, here. This is can a I, gentleman. Can I have a bottle opener? <laughs> uh, well, when he worked uh, the floor for the majority leader, his nickname was the Corkscrew. Uh, so the the one and only Doug High is here, former RNC communications director, former indispensable House leadership staffer. Back when the House Republican Conference could eat with a knife and fork, we're going to get into the civil war that broke out with his expert knowledge and insight and all the other uh, things political. So, Doug, welcome back. I'm changing so much of that into my Twitter bio now. Thanks so much. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there you maybe go. you could get some promo money from the Swiss Army Knife people too. <laughs> that would be that would be good. So, guys, uh, as we speak, they're they're gassing up the uh, the limos at uh, uh, Doral. I guess is where he's staying, huh? At his Doral property for yep. the trip trip over to the uh, ritual indictments that have now become part of our political uh, yeah. life. What do you? Well, let, let's just throw it open. I got I got my own thoughts about this, but go ahead, expound Murphy on how this is the beginning of the end, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll course correct. Well, uh, <laughs> alas, it's only the beginning. Uh, it may be the beginning of the end. I think it's the end of the beginning, uh, and I think Trump is a half life and he's in decline. I want to just start by urging all my friends in the cable news business: today would be a good day to turn off the coffee machines, because uh, it's something about the breathless coverage of well, uh, there could be a bazooka hidden in that red, white, and blue minivan. Seen? I mean, just uh, let let let's see what happens. I think the impact of this will not be as big as the hyperventilating, but it will hurt Trump. 
Uh, and the best test of that is how many people are jumping in the race and inching toward criticism of them. We're, we're talking about that more. Still, it'll be a circus. Trump's tactic, which we heard in the intro clip, is to attack the system uh, and to create doubt among his hardcore followers, the justice system, which is cor- corrosive and awful. Uh, so it's going to be painful for the country, but it is not good for Donald Trump, who already, in my view, as you've heard a thousand times, is in pretty big trouble. Doug, let's bifurcate this discussion because, you know, we, we've been through this before. In fact, if we could probably dig up tape, I don't know, of a certain Mike Murphy saying the same thing before the last indictment. But we know that he I was right, Trump, but go ahead. Trump, Trump grew in his primary lead after the last indictment, doubled his lead over uh, DeSantis. And look, I think that we can't uh, minimize his superpower, which is to create his own narrative and sell his narrative to his base. And the narrative is they're coming after us and they're coming after me because they're coming after you. And doesn't that have an audience, Doug, with the Republicans, uh, the Republican base right now? You know, I, I got it wrong on Trump. And when I realized it, uh, this is initially, it was when he, in the general election, and he said, you know, Hillary Clinton, she has her signs that say, I'm with her. Well, I'm for you. And I thought, that's actually really powerful, and that can resonate. And essentially, this is a this is a you know more intense version of that. Um, and it does resonate with his base. Doesn't resonate more broadly. But we're in a political situation now where um, the base is is the key that matters at this point. So I think we look at or should look at things with Trump as a you know not just a short term versus long term, but an immediate term then a short term, then a long term. In the immediate term, term, this does shore up some support for Trump. Um, and it goes to two things. One, that message that that he delivers, that the base responds to, not the whole party, but uh, mm-hmm. a, big, a big part of it and an intensity there. Um, and also, you know, as we saw in, in North Carolina, my home state this weekend, where Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis both were, They really didn't criticize Trump on this at all when the opportunity is there. And in fact, by talking about the weaponization of the DOJ, what they do is they reinforce that key Donald Trump talking point that he's a victim. They're essentially agreeing with him at this point, even if, yes, they're getting into the race because they see some vulnerabilities. The initial response is to shore up Donald Trump. And that's what most of the Republican candidates are doing. We're seeing some cracks around the edges. Um, we didn't see anything different on this um, in the first indictment, where I think most people would tell you, um, even Democrats at least, that, yeah, this might be political or this isn't the indictment we want to go first, which is its own bizarre statement. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we're seeing some cracks, but not much. And if there's another one, maybe we'll see more cracks. But um, this is, a again, an immediate term, short term, long term issue. So, Doug, fair to say you think this is a net plus for Trump in winning the Republican nomination? Um, if in the in the overused phrase, if the election were held today, which it is not, yes. Does this benefit Donald Trump come March? That's a very different conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's my view. Mike, you said, you know, and, and I, I listen, I think your cautionary notes are important, um, but about the bazookas and so on. But, you know, one of the things that strikes me about the irresponsibility of these Republican candidates and politicians who uh, want to mollify the base, 
but don't want to embrace Trump. So they assail the criminal justice system and they, you know, well, let's listen to Kevin McCarthy. When you think about what they're trying to indict President Trump on, you've got a sitting president right now in the exact same situation. You have a former first lady, senator, secretary of state that had the same situation that nothing was done to her. In America, some of our greatest strength is equal justice, and today it shows that it is not. McCarthy, Mike Murphy, has made this the the issue, equal application of the law. You know, Biden gets away with it, Hillary Clinton gets away with it, mm-hmm. but they go after Donald Trump. And people have picked up this mantra, and the level of vitriol toward the FBI, the Justice Department, and so on, to me, it's like a dog whistle uh, to the crazy people on the right that uh, you know, the, uh, to, to, to think about what to do. You know, it's irresponsible. If you're crazy, you think you're a patriot by storming a Capitol or doing something irresponsible, even violence. I totally agree with you on this. And McCarthy, who's always the rubber man, he had a brief moment of glory, uh, with the, the debt ceiling deal, um, you know, is feeling pressed in his caucus. So I'm sure in the cynical, business he's in, at least from his point of view, cynical. He's like, well, I got to go out and roll out some red meat bullshit to the troops because I, I, you know, I, I'm so vulnerable. But but the cynicism of it playing with these institutions, that, that's what troubles me the most. It's the dog whistle factor. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a, a, my old thing about when we have the Michigan-Ohio football game, we don't burn down the stadium and butcher the other side at the end of it. Usually, we'd like yeah. to preserve football. Well, we they're always <laughs> playing so those Ohio bastards, you know, they're capable of anything. But they're almost as bad as Bulls fans. But but putting putting all that this aside, yeah, no, no, they are they are playing with fire. And you yeah. see it in the course attitudes that come up in polling now about partisan voters on one side or the other saying everything's fixed and corrupt. If I can inject some, you know, just raw politics into this, if the Department of Justice and the FBI are weaponized against Donald Trump or you or whatever it may be. How do you campaign against Democrats on defund the police next year? It makes it a lot harder for congressional Republicans, especially like in those Republicans in the uh, 18 districts that Joe Biden carried that right. would need that kind of an issue. So that's partially taken away. My guess is they'll say that Joe Biden doesn't control these local police forces who are trying to protect people. He's weapon. Here's the thing that I find interesting about that. Here's what I find uh, kind of remarkable about DeSantis is this is a guy who's basically weaponized every element of his government against his political enemies for his political agenda. Uh, like he's a self-loathing autocrat, right? Because he's all against this uh, when he accuses Biden of it, but says, I'm going to be a new and better version of Trump. I'll do these things better. I will use the, f- the tools of government. I will make the Justice Department heal. I will make the FBI heal. All of this to me, you know, is a echo of Trumpism, which is there are no rules. There are no laws. There are no norms. Institutions are corrupt. Everything is rigged. These are, you know, this is Putinism, honestly. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I accept the central argument you're making that the culture war faction of the primary, where you can sell some tickets, which is where DeSantis is, uh, is, is playing with fire. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and let me just say it's read the indictment is what I say to people. 
Yeah, I you know, you can they create this smokescreen of all oh, the government's tilted against Trump and everything. Look, hell, the government has had a heavy hand on the piano keys for politics for a long time. Nixon, Bobby Kennedy. Let's just say he didn't wake up every day thinking, hmm, Which how one? can I use the Justice Department yeah, uh, right. to, to future a political agenda? Hell, he, he taped more people than Nixon. So, yeah, I get it. But the fundamental thing is this is not a murky indictment. This is really, really simple. Well, listen to, Bill, let's, let's listen to Bill, Barr. Bill Barr. Yeah, exactly. pretty clear on this. Let's listen to him. But I do think that even half well, what Andy McCarthy said, which is, is if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a very detailed indictment uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt uh, is ridiculous. So, guys, I mean, that indictment was brutal. That indictment. And yeah. you know, every but he he, of course, is un. He is uh, un, unrepentant and relentless. There's no R on his gear shift, and the party uh, and the party followed. Uh, well, wait, wait, let me let me interrupt for a sec, David. I'm not sure. I know what you're saying. The party leaders follow because I think yes. there are two big calculations. As quickly, Trump says, "I got to create another issue," because if we just look at the info here, I'm cooked. I did it. I know I did it. Um, the party is making the calculation, many of whom privately are party leaders, want him gone. Uh, this is not the swamp to fight Trump on. It's to his advantage to debate with him the details of this. Better to let the acid burn and play for time. Now, that might be the wrong calculation. It's certainly not the patriotic calculation, but that's what's driving them. Um, and, you know, we're see, We're see. I think in the end, only thing that will stick is more Trump fatigue. But we're see. 76% of voters in a CBS poll taken after the indictment said uh, that uh, they thought it was politically motivated. And there was the more people said they were more likely to vote for Republicans said they were more likely to vote for him than said they were less likely to vote for him uh, after that. But what happens, yeah. you guys, if this thing goes to trial? Right. Well, I think first, that's part of what I was trying to describe as the you know, immediate term, short term, long term. This is the immediate term that there is a headline. It's anti-Trump. And the, the Republican base is so conditioned to charges against Donald Trump. Some are true, some are false, um, all of them outlandish, that they just rally immediately behind him. As this continues, that's where the fatigue may wear down on Trump. But also, I think it, there, there's an irony here. We know that Donald Trump has, you know, in the past, five, six, seven years, you know, employed more lawyers um, than a Fortune 500 company. And why this indictment happened is because and he fired more. But of course, is he fundamentally didn't listen to them. They said, just give the documents back. And he wouldn't do it. You know, so well, like, worse than that, he, he obstructed. Right. You know, he tried to work around his own, own lawyers, told him to lie. It's uh, the obstruction yeah. of justice case is equally strong. The life lesson here is listen to your lawyers. When they tell you to do something, that's what you do. He's never done that. This thing reflects a lifetime of chicanery. I mm -hmm. mean, he does not believe in rules, laws, norms, or institutions. He thinks exactly. they're for suckers. He thinks yeah. they're for suckers. Yeah, no, totally. Look, he's nuts. He's crazy. There's no rational thing there, and he's not public-spirited, and he's not a patriot. You know, he's a seditionist creep. But, but, he's, but, he, but he was president of the United States. Right, right. Um, voters, look in the mirror. 
because that's how that happens. Uh, but will will they bring it back for a sequel? You know, you're right, Doug. Listen to the lawyers. And I can't resist one more plug for my favorite lawyer, the late Milk Wurtzman of the Ted Kennedy world, just said, ignore these national polls of primary stuff until after the first contest. And I think this is going to be the case study this year. But the only way to fix Trump is put him in jail, to your point about a trial. And who knows? Because he is a former president. That does make it legally complex. Uh, or voters step up in the Republican Party and beat him. And that's it. That's the fork in the road. I've been thinking about this. If you were president of the United States, say Biden were president of the United States and Trump were convicted. You know, he's sort of in the Jerry Ford position there. Yeah. Uh, and is it good for the country? for uh, a former president to be would you commute the sentence uh you know i i think that's a, a you know we'll get all kinds of howls and stuff about that but we're way ahead of ourselves here my question to you guys is a strategic one yeah but let me just answer what you brought up because really important that is the question for the next president and the ford thing because i'm kind of a ford history nerd they were able to make a plea deal with nixon privately unofficially which is you go away and you don't go to jail, yep. you know, no trial We, for the country's sake. And Nixon took the deal because Nixon still had some patriot in him, more than a little, I think. The problem with Trump is you're dealing with a and crazy no Fox man. News. Right, true, and not as radicalized a party. But, you know, how do you make a handshake deal like that with Trump? Because he's Trump. It's Charlie Manson. Well, I think it, I don't think you can make it beforehand. I think you have to make it after a conviction if he is convicted. But his habit has always been to delay this as all this stuff to just find as many legal obstacles as possible. Prosecutor uh, Jack Smith said that he uh, wanted a he wanted a speedy trial. They have this rocket docket history right. down in Florida. Um, Trump, I got to believe, is going to do everything he can to kick this can down the field because, like, his best chance of escaping uh, uh, conviction and cer and certainly uh, uh, and everything that comes with conviction is, in his mind, to win. And his thinking is, if I can get to the nomination, maybe Biden is enfeebled or unpopular enough that I can beat him. That's what he's thinking. I think it's really hard to carry this stuff into a general like mike i agree with you i'm not saying trump's going to be the next president he could i'm just saying i'm not sure in the nominating process that this is going to be the thing that stops him i think in a general election i think he's in deep you know he's in deep deep trouble uh, you know it's funny I, I i remain dubious he'll be nominated but i'm i'm becoming more fearful if he is nominated he can win a general election because of biden's numbers but yeah we're, we're, we're the cw is he, he can't win a general and there are a lot of reasons i'm not saying he can I, i'm saying i think this makes it harder that's all but a lot of this also is is not up to donald trump you know whatever donald trump did at mar-a-lago or in georgia or in new york has already been done this is, and we know what Trump's attitude and, and words are going to be. So this is up to the people who decided I'm going to run for president against Donald Trump. And they have to come to a, if you, Ric Flair, the patron saint of North Carolina said to be the man, <laughs> you've got to beat the man. And so the Republican nomination does not go around Donald Trump. You have to go through him. And if your statements only start to show cracks or anything like that, or you agree that Trump is somehow the victim or being persecuted, maybe he did something wrong, but 
you're not taking them on and you're allowing Trump- no no i agree with you i agree with you but notice it, there's time to evolve slower than i'd like like nikki haley the ultimate weather vane took the, her first little tilt L- let's listen a little bit there's plenty of nikki sophism here but this is a move for her which is a barometer the second thing can also be true if this indictment is true if what it says is actually the case. President Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. More than that, I'm a military spouse. My husband's about to deploy this weekend. This puts all of our military men and women in danger. If you are going to talk about what our military is capable of or how we would go about invading or doing something with one of our enemies. And if that's the case, it's in, it's reckless. It's frustrating. And um, it causes problems. And, you know, we're looking now, this is the second indictment. We're looking at possibly a third indictment um, coming in with Georgia. My concern is not so much about how this, you know, plays out and what we do with it. My concern is about the direction of the country. Yeah, you know, that was after a swing and a miss on the first news of the indictment where she went after right. the, uh, the, the, the weaponization of government. It's pretty hard for her not to take the position she just took because she was a U.N. ambassador and is really well aware of what those documents mean. But, uh, but as you point out, Mike, it's, you know, she's... It's just a, another tell. You know, what I think, it, and you guys both know Paul's, Christy, the typhoon from Trenton, is going right <laughs> at him. And Nikki's creeping there a little. And the other ones will watch. And if they don't burst into flames uh, and it, it, it starts, then they're joined the bandwagon. They're, they're, I think they're trying right. to figure out this safe way to say something. And now she's kind of the lab rat giving it a try. And Christy, of course, is already off on that jihad. What Nikki Haley did was she also set out this is a process, right? The first one was dismissed by Republicans for two reasons. One, they had to show some unity behind Trump, but also the New York indictment was problematic um, for what the, what the indictment was. So now we have this where they're saying, if this is true, now there's, she mentions Georgia. So if we get to Georgia where there are three, there's a process. And at some point, Republicans can say, maybe Donald Trump did some things wrong. Maybe not everybody's against him. And I would tell each Republican candidate, in some cases have, you have to be Luke Skywalker. And if we have 10 Luke Skywalkers at this point, it's fine. In February, it's not. But Luke Skywalker has to confront Darth Vader. You can't just hope that the force takes care of everything. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is that, there, you know, a guy like DeSantis is hoping, is hoping to become Darth Vader. I mean, he is running to be the legatee of Donald Trump. He is, he is, you know, wants to be Trumpier than Trump, and he doesn't want to offend that base. And so he has put this all in the context of, uh, you know, of the weaponization of, uh, of government. But let's listen. You mentioned let's listen to the typhoon from Trenton, or I, I like that Murphy. That's good. Uh, who was on? He had a CNN town hall last night. I want to talk about it. Uh, when we come out the other end, because I thought it was pretty interesting. But here's what he had to say. Yeah. And we're in a situation where there are people in my own party who are blaming DOJ. How about blame him? He did it. He kept, he took documents he wasn't supposed to take. He kept them when they asked him back for them. They got a grand jury subpoena. He refused to comply. They raided his home finally because he refused to comply. That, all of those things were brought on himself, as was this indictment. 
Yeah, look, Christy can communicate. Uh, uh, the pit bull of Passaic, I'm going to have 100 of them. He lays it all out in Republican primary voter-friendly language. So the others yeah. are going to watch how this does. I think what most Pauls think about Christie is he's going to hurt Trump, but people won't vote for him. But that's just fine. Uh, and But if this stuff, there'll be a bandwagon effect, I think. We, we, we'll see. But, but Christie has opened some bleeding here. I watched The Lancer of Livingston last night <laughs> on, uh, on that. Uh, and I got to tell you something. I mean, in 2012, and we all remember this, he was uh, sort of touted, right? Or 2011 even. But in that period when before he, he ran into, you know, the troubles, uh, he, uh, he was considered a frontline national candidate. And last night you sort of saw why, because he is a first-class communicator. You measure the potency of a potential national candidate by uh, whether there's any gap between who they are in a green room and who they are on a stage. With Christie, there's none. He yep. is he is absolutely authentic. Uh, he speaks in a colloquial way. He is, uh, he, he, he is unsparing, you know, when he's uh, going after his targets, and you don't feel like he, you know, you compare it to sort of the Pence Town Hall, the Haley Town Hall, where they're delivering set pieces that sound like set pieces. He sounds like he's talking to you. The real question is, does the Republican Party that once thought of Chris Christie as a leading candidate still exist? Right. Let me let me give an, exan- an anecdote that I tell people a lot when Christie comes up. So it's June of 2015. I was in London and had a meeting with then mayor Boris Johnson. And this was at the height of Bridgegate, you know, Republicans starting to run for president and all of this. And Boris sits me down and says, right, obviously Chris Christie's going nowhere, dead in the water. What about, and I corrected him and said, well, hold on. I said, Chris Christie is too talented not to have a moment. And when he has that moment, everyone's going to see it. The question is, can he capitalize on the moment? Can he ride the wave? So when the debate happened where Christie went over, uh, went after Marco. I got an email from his communications director the next day that said, the mayor wants you to know that he recognizes that Chris Christie had his moment. He's going to have a moment in this campaign. And if it is a moment that takes out Donald Trump in some fashion, if he pops that balloon, does the race reset? Does it automatically fall to DeSantis? Is there a, is there a scrum? We don't know that yet. But we know that Chris Christie is going to be an instigator one way or another. Though I'll tell you, I kind of agree with that. I, I do believe he'll be catalytic. I just I watched him closely in New Hampshire last time, and he he was doing this a lot of the same stuff. Not as sharp because Trump was not the Trump we have now. But nobody voted for him. They enjoyed the show. But Christie is somehow both a great communicator and completely exhausting at the same time. I I watched the town hall. It felt like three hours. Um, I loved it. I'm cheering the Trump stuff. But, you know, I think his impact will be more catalytic. And I'm really obsessed now with can Chris Christie put enough hard money together to mm-hmm. buy 40,000 yeah. grassroots donors to get on that debate stage? I mean, they wrote yeah. that rule to screw him and a few of the other candidates. Uh, it's shameful from the RNC. They've, uh, you know, they've become so bad. But whether you're for Christie or not, you should throw him five bucks just to get him on the stage. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Same for the others, even Bergham. I know, Mike, you, you have a bunch of clips from Christie, and it's hard to choose among them. Well, because- let's go for the Psy War, because he knows Trump's watching. And boy, there was a performance all about the L word, and for <laughs> once, not liberal. 
He hasn't won a damn thing since 2016. Three-time loser. 2018, we lost the House. 2020, we lost the White House. We lost the United States Senate a couple of weeks later in 2021. And in 2022, we lost two more governorships, another Senate seat, and barely took the House of Representatives when Joe Biden had the most incompetent first two years I've ever seen in my life. Loser, loser, loser. Now we're getting going, it'll be different this time. Why? (laughs) Why will it be different this time? Those arguments need to be made, and I'm not afraid to make them. This guy knows Donald Trump. He and he he and he is in Donald Trump's head, and and to to Trump, the worst thing in the world could be is to be a loser. Yep. I mean that, is, and and he he knows that, and he uh, but he's also making a case uh, that you know others are trying to make, which is that they can't win with Trump. The thing that Christie has that the others don't is if you're not willing to say he lost in in 2020, I don't know how you can call him a loser. You know, I mean, you can't maintain the fiction that somehow right. the election was stolen from him and say he was a loser. And if I were Trump, I would be all over that. You know, I mean, if, if they say he was a loser, then they're acknowledging that that he lost. And most of the base does not acknowledge that. The fact that he's not all over that suggests, I think, one of the ways that Republicans can go after Trump if they still are fearful of saying what Christie said. And you can just say, look, there is too much drama He's distracted. We need somebody who's going to beat Joe Biden, who will be laser focused. And clearly Donald Trump is not laser focused on this because of all the chaos, the drama, whatever verbiage you want to use. And if that is part of how you start to show those cracks, all for it. Crack away. The he's a loser thing is quietly spreading in the electorate quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Republican. That's what's out there. That's an easier terrain for these guys to fight. But I'll tell you, here's the, the first big debate question they ought to prep for. Uh, It's it's pretty simple. Do you believe that Donald Trump won or lost the last election? Yeah. Boom. Governor DeSantis. They got it. And the ones who tap dance out of it are giving away rocket fuel. I I agree. It's going to be a defining moment in August in Milwaukee. If Trump is there. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. I mean, I'm of the mind that if I were Trump, I wouldn't be there. But George Christie said last night, and he may be right, that Trump's ego won't allow him not to yeah, be there. That's he said, although then he said, then he said, well, maybe he'll skip the first one. That would be okay. I, I think that if he skips the debate, they'll all beat up on him for a while, and then they'll turn on DeSantis, which is just fine with him, I'm sure. You know, Donald Trump skipped a debate in Iowa in 2016, and we thought, well, that's the end of this, or 2015, and it didn't hurt him at all. So. What he's learned from this is that he doesn't need to do this. And especially given the dynamics right now, if I were advising him, I'd say stay away. Yeah, but I, I get that argument and I'm sympathetic to it. But you guys sound like his lawyers. Give the documents back. It's in your interest. Um, it's Trump. I'm kind of with Christie. I don't think the ego, if he's baited enough. And of course, if Christie can... Hell, if I were another campaign, I'd bundle donors to Christie because if Christie's hey, on the debate stage alone, chicken, block, 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 the Bergen bomber will just, just strafe the hell out of him. I get it, but that's that's sort of part of what happened last time, and it did not hurt him. Yeah, but it's different now. This is not – they've seen Trump. There's no – everything new about Trump they've learned since 16 is bad. 
Only that he has the right enemies. That's the only glue he's got. And it's big glue. The thing about Trump is that to his supporters, he is the avenging angel against this corrupt, rigged system that is uh, trying to uh, take from them. And uh, that works so long as he's, he seems big and tough and resilient uh, and that he has, you know, the, the, these the big brass balls to stand up to them. Uh, if he begins to look weak, uh, that's yeah. a problem for him. That's kryptonite. Yeah. That's uh, so. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned kryptonite because my thought was people keep saying these are too many bricks for the load, and I think what we haven't yet determined is are these indictments are they kryptonite for him, or are the or are they energy packs? Which color kryptonite? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that that remains to be seen. Yeah, you're right. It, it's the old secrets of the Krell thing, where the, the alien monster is made stronger by their rage. So we, we will we will see how it plays out. I want to talk about the minor candidates for a minute, just for our junkies, because it was a great case study. You know, last week and before I've been, I like the concept of Governor Burgum, Doug Burgum, the billionaire governor of North Dakota. He's running kind of the old Reagan campaign, had a great launch video. Yeah, you see him on TV this Sunday? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. When the staff comes and say, hey, the, the announcement's working, you know, we're catching on. Face the nation called governor, get your good suit. It's time to hit the big time. And you are totally frigging unprepared. So listen to a very smart, very capable guy who I, th- I think still has potential. By the way, he's spending a million a week in Iowa right now on television. When he starts moving up in the polls, the media will slavishly follow. But let's listen to the opening question on Face the Nation when you're booked without a plan. It's it's, it's pretty bad. This indictment, whatever you may think about the, uh, about the details of it, creates an opportunity to talk about the responsibilities, obligations, and character of the job. So is it an opportunity for you, and what are you going to do with it? Well, John, you've, you've written and written eloquently about the, the presidency being the hardest job in the world. And I think uh, part, of, part of your thesis was uh, priorities. And, and this is uh, something that we've been talking about. We're on day four on the campaign trail. We've been talking about that and, the, and it sort of make sure that people understand, you know, who we are, why we're running and what we'll do. And, you know, who we are. I'm a small town kid from in North Dakota. Uh, I've had jobs growing up where you shower at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day. All right. So we went from where do you stand on the indictment to the family farm? Now, he's got a compelling story. There's probably some link with showers there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his great line, my favorite line he has is, you know, where I grew up, woke was what you did at 5 a.m. to go feed the, you know, the livestock. But but anyway, this guy's got great potential. But boy, oh, boy, did he eat his hat there. Uh, And, you know, they all start pretty bad. You remember Obama at the beginning. But he's going to have to improve a lot, or or the the Bergam thing. The interview is, uh, was uh, the interview was uh, not just that answer, but the entire interview was underwhelming. And he looked like what he is, like a guy who wasn't ready for prime time. Yeah. and you're right; yeah. he could get ready for prime time, but prime time's coming up pretty quick here. Yeah, yeah. My advice is get ready before national news coverage. But, <laughs> yeah, you know that that's always what I tell them. But people complain about the process, but the process does expose you. The pro- you find out who these people are and you learn a lot about them and people pay more attention to you when you're running for president of the United States. So, uh, you know, I I know I mean, I, I think this is a useful part of the process. It's the world's longest right. oral exam. And uh, <laughs> he failed his first test there. 
Yeah, so the question is resiliency now. Can he can he learn and improve? Tim Scott's got a little of the same problem because uh, I think they both have huge potential, but only if they show a fast learning curve. He's in back. a different category, but go ahead. You should be prepared as a candidate. Your staff should be preparing you. But this this didn't go well, but it wasn't a disaster. And let's not forget, nobody remembers Ron DeSantis and Twitter. So if you're the staff and, and you're Burgum, what do you learn from this? How do you Right, learn- exactly, exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. So could be useful. What do you think Kevin McCarthy has learned in recent weeks and months uh, based on this ongoing issue he has with members of his own caucus? And how does that, Doug, influence yeah. how he's dealing with Trump? Well, yeah, there's there's a lot in there. You know, I remember um, that Friday night when he became speaker, pretty much universally he was declared a speaker in name only and proved that to be not true by getting not just the first bill through, but then obviously the, the the deal as a whole, that was going to cause problems. And what we've seen over the past week is the Freedom Caucus that can't really enact anything, can't really pass anything, but they sure can block some things, um, have have drawn things to to a ground halt um, at this point. And I, and I fear that it's just gotten more difficult. And the reason I say that is uh, House Appropriations Chair Kay Granger last night said that the Fiscal Responsibility Act is a top-line spending cap, a ceiling, not a floor. And so what does that mean? And a lot of this is is sort of in response to what we've seen um, just over the past week. Well, it means that a House Republican Senate Democrat showdown is likely. Um, oh, yeah. Put, put sept- September 30th on your calendar um, because that's when the appropriations process has its deadline, um, also the farm bill. Um, at the same time, uh, it means that House Republicans are likely going to continue their infighting. Uh, you know, many GOP members are upset with the Freedom Caucus holding legislation or the House um, hostage, and a lot of that is because the Freedom Caucus, and not just the Freedom Caucus, but a lot of members are very eager to show that they want to fight, even though they don't know how to land a punch or win a round. And if the Freedom Caucus doesn't have control over the rest of the com- conference, and they they don't know or they don't want to know that there's a limiting factor that it's not what McCarthy negotiates with them, but what can get 218 votes on the right. floor. This exacerbates that challenge, also exacerbates it on disaster relief funding, on Ukraine. It increases. Well, Doug, yeah. Yeah. No, just let's step back a minute because this stuff is so arcane. You're an expert at it. So. McCarthy makes the deal, gets a lot, I think. The deal on the debt ceiling. On the debt ceiling. But they're furious because they'd like to switch over to stone money or whatever the big agenda is, which is ungettable. You know, that deal does not exist to be gotten. Mm -hmm. And they vowed retribution. So now they use their numbers on rules and other places. Part of the deal Kevin made to be speaker to to freeze the House floor and stop everything. They can't pass anything, as you say. So there was some chatter in the media yesterday. They've made a deal to keep talking and they've opened the floor a little. But as you say, Kay now is saying we're have big spending cuts. So that's World War Three of the Senate Democrats. Is that a fair summary? Yes. How do you think it evolves then forward? Because well, this is untenable where we are right now. It, it's untenable. And right now I see it getting worse before it gets better. And I say that because this makes it more likely that the House is going to pass an omnibus spending bill, meaning they take the you know 12 appropriations bills and put them all into one big bill or two or three big bills rather than the individual bills. And what the Freedom Caucus says is they want 
a working appropriations process. We're going to do this one at a time under regular order. But what they've done makes an omnibus more likely. And so that means that if that happens, there's going to be a handful of members that will not only try and blow that process up, but that's where we see a potential shutdown and a potential motion to vacate the chair against Kevin. Yeah, well, this is the big sword hanging over his head, isn't it? Yes. Uh, because McCarthy can pass all of the things, all of these things through the House if he's willing to do it with Democratic votes. Uh, you know, if he's willing to do what he did on the debt ceiling. But every time he does that, doesn't it 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 uh, hasten the uh, day when some one of those guys makes a motion to vacate the chair and take his job away? Yes, but here's in the way that Kramer was wearing the very pants that he was trying to return that um, the Freedom Caucus enacts the, the, all of this is um, by pushing for only appropriations bills, but moving the goal po- only the, the 12 um, individual appropriations bills, but continuing to move the goalposts, it makes the omnibus that they say that they don't want more likely to happen. What is yeah, because it's very hard to stop. Everybody has something in an omnibus they want. Exactly. So, and then the Freedom Caucus says, we're going to blow up the world so Congressman Bag of Donuts, you don't get your grain elevator repainting act for Kansas or your whatever. That would bolster Kevin's position, I think, to have a caucus fight over staying speaker because it's close. But Yes, but but a motion to vacate is obviously a very dangerous thing. It's yeah, also a nuclear bomb. It's not like... Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell's position, but the Freedom Caucus will have made this more possible by saying that this is the last thing okay, that they l- l- Let's just back up a second because um, we're hacks on tap, and so we got to ask the hackish questions. My question is it struck me that McCarthy has to cleave himself to Trump here, in part because Trump, because of Trump's relationship with those Freedom Caucus members. That uh, he that, you know, why did Kevin McCarthy, after denouncing Trump after January 6th, go down to Mar-a-Lago? You know, because he needed Trump. He needed yeah. Trump to cooperate on some House races, but he needed Trump generally to hold his his uh, his group together. If he had walked away from Trump, what would, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jordan and those people who he counts on, mm-hmm. where would that have left them? They're out there on the point for Trump. Right. Yeah, but he might have lost him unreversibly now. I, I get your point totally. Trump would be a lifesaver, but I don't know if Trump could be a lifesaver now. Doug, what do you think? Well, he hasn't lost the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the who's who's a very interesting person to watch in these kind of machinations uh, between the Freedom Caucus and and leadership or a Jim Jordan. They're still with Kevin and Kevin, and I think it's one of the p- things people underrated about him when he won. He won because he works his members extremely well. Yes, there's a very small margin of error, but Kevin works the members very well, and they like him, and he listens to them, that being very important. But if we go through this kind of chaos, it does make Trump even more important here because we know that Donald Trump has no problem throwing an anchor on anyone, and that's the last thing that anybody in Republican leadership needs. Yeah, that was my first reaction when I when I saw the uh, his his very fast video out there on these indictments, and when I've heard his subsequent comments. Anecdotally, in the what's not important is important. Bruce Springsteen is playing Washington on September 29th, and I'm on four separate text chains of Capitol Hill reporters and staff 
that are all cursing this date because it may mean that they miss a concert that's one mile away from the Capitol. And I don't think at this point those fears are exaggerated because we're looking at September 30 deadlines and people could be in the Capitol on that Friday night um, at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 3 in the morning the next day, and so on. Well, there, he's playing Wrigley Field in August, so all you folks in Washington, if you want to just take a insurance policy out, might want to tool on out to the, yeah. to the great Midwest. We're not going to have any shutdowns that day. See a great concert and vote, but um, boom Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. If you have a question for the hacks, what do you do, David? You, I don't know, man, because you always do this part. <laughs> okay, I just, I'm waking you up. Uh, uh, you, you write to hacksontap at gmail.com and you, you send go. your messages in and, and then, uh, and we evaluate the thousands of questions that come in. And if you're, if your question is particularly good, you may hear it right here on Hacks on Tap. And a particularly good question is, hey, guys, love the show. I just gave you five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Yes, now, sir. here's my question. Those, 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 got, those pop right to the top of the list. Yeah, we, we know how to oil the wheels here. We Everybody gets their beak wet Chicago style here. <laughs> All right. Thank you for those good ratings, by the way, you've given us. Let's go with question number one to David Axelrod. This question comes from Stephen. Wants to know, is it possible Trump would enter a plea deal in return for not running for any public office again. God, I pray so. Can a conviction actually include this as a punishment? You know, uh, he says no. Uh, I think that in his mind, now we'll see when the uh, possibility of really severe penalties uh, exist, whether that changes his thinking. But he said in his speech over the weekend uh, and on in interviews, you know, conviction or not, he's running. And look, I think the ultimate get out of jail free card for Donald Trump in his own mind is to get elected president again. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know that he would ult- accept a, a plea deal, certainly not before he's exhausted his political uh, imperatives. Hey, Murphy, a guy named Dave, not me. Oh, no, that's not yet. So, hey, Murphy, Andrew says, could you speak on some of the specifics around the GOP requirements to get on the debate stage? And really, Doug, you should weigh in on this as well. Is there a minimum donation amount and must donors give directly to the campaign for it for it to count toward the goal? Also, if there is time, could you comment on the validity and soundness of these debate stage candidate requirements? Murphy, I suspect you may be Andrew because I know you've been uh, seething <laughs> oh, yeah, about my, this my whole head deal. is exploding. Go the, ahead, the, man, have at it. The, the good news is my rage in this gave me the perfect solution to the earlier question about a Trump plea deal. Four words, next mission to Mars. Uh, there's where, that's <laughs> what Trump, we'll make him an astronaut, send him up there and he can colonize it. It's orange. What what else would he, yeah, the, the orange planet. Yeah, this thing makes my head explode. So the RNC, a once great institution, has decided, hey, job one, let's fix the debates. We're the free market party. We love the free market. So let's go to Soviet style control economics and try to rig who can actually offer the voters a choice. So under Rent Arana McDaniel, formerly Romney, but that became politically unviable, so 
you know, reverted her name. The RNC has said you got to have 40,000 small, do- well, 40,000 donors. You have to be, oh, I, there's a minimum polling threshold. I don't know. Do you know what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that margin of error, polls, yeah. you know, you're going to be something. And then, and the, the donors have to be from a variety of states so you can get on the debate. That's basically a, an RNC deal for Trump and DeSantis when these early national polls are so unindicative of the future. So it's terrible. But and, there's one other piece, Mike. There's one other yeah. piece, which is you also have to pledge to support the Oh, yeah, right, right, right. That's in some ways you have to. Now, they all were going to anyway. You don't go to a Red Sox fan meeting and say, yeah, I might be for the Yankees this year. But with Trump the super criminal, it, it has more import uh, and makes the candidates all wiggle. So we will see what happens. There's a gold rush on now. I'm sure if you're on any Republican donor list, check your text of the candidates trying to raise money. I tried to give Burgum 50 bucks, but I couldn't get his website to take my money. Another bad sign, Governor. Uh, need to straighten that out. So we will see who can do it. The problem is often you have to if, if if they want you to get donors ahead of the natural long shot timetable for donors. So you have to lose money raising small money. In other words, for every $20 donor you get, you have to spend a hundred bucks, which means you need a lot of high dollar money to subsidize. The whole thing is a funhouse mere disaster. The RNC ought to be ashamed. So I get some of that. They're also, I think they're trying to react to, you know, what happened last time. They want to avoid having 17 candidates on stage. They want to avoid having the primetime debate and the kids' table debate. And I think there's no sort of perfect way to get there. Well, well let, me, let me pitch, though. Here's a simple one. You've been elected to statewide office as a Republican or national office. Bingo. The serious people are now in. And you don't get the quality control guy in the Winnebago from Michigan. You don't get Vivac. You know, let's see. So by that rationale, Donald Trump would never have been allowed to debate. And well, no, but it's now. You can change him every cycle. That would be the rational crowd. If you've been elected a governor, senator, president, or vice president, you get you get in the debate. They can narrow it later with polling tests after a contest or something. Well, if you're a member of the but, establishment, uh, you don't want outsiders. Uh, it's fraught with difficulty. Well, it's a forced choice of two people that even Biden can probably beat. <laughs> Which I don't think, let alone the free market aspect. This uh, this loyalty oath is interesting. I mean, you can sort of see the logic of it, right? You want to be the candidate of this party. you got to accept the judgment of this party. But you're going to have people on that stage who uh, are going to essentially render, uh, render Trump unfit based on all the things we've talked about. And they're going to be pretty outspoken about it. Uh, and you're going to have Trump you know, who's already made clear that he may not support a candidate if he doesn't like them. And they're all going to have to lie to get on that stage. And everyone's going to know it's a lie. So, Or if you're Chris Christie, you've already said that you won't. So how, how do you then appear at, at a debate where that's the venue for Chris Christie to have his moment? He could take the Pence exemption, which is to say, well, I don't think he's going to be the nominee, so it's not a problem for me. Right. Or, or you tell the truth and don't get nominated, which is going to happen anyway, but you might open a hole for the others to start moving that way. What Christie ought to do is tomorrow, I bought an hour on Fox for $1 million. Me and Trump, if he's a man, he'll show up. If not, he's a big orange chicken and a crook. Bok, bok, bok. And make Trump refuse it. 
That's All free. Right. That's free, Christy. I'll send you 50 bucks, too, to help you get to the debate. <laughs> this is from Brian. Why hasn't the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, focused more energy and resources on North Carolina? North Carolina, your home state, Doug, is trending in a bluer direction, unlike Florida and South Carolina. I don't, I don't know if South Carolina was ever in a blue direction. And it has a diverse mix of suburban, rural, black, and Latino voters, unlike much of the Rust Belt, as well as many students and veterans fertile ground for the left why aren't they why aren't they investing is what brian wants to know i I think the south carolina reference is that they got the you know the first in the country primary for democrats this time but i have been blue in the face for six years if not longer telling people not to forget north carolina blue in his face but red in his heart exactly well whatever that means these days um (laughs) and and there are a lot of reasons for that you know if you go back and david you know this very well when Barack Obama won it in 2008, it was the second closest state in the country. Yes. And then the next three times it's gone red and people just assume it's a red state again. Well, when Obama lost it in 2012, it was the second closest state in the nation. When um, in 2020, North Carolina was the closest state that Biden lost. And then if you look at what's happening in the state, in demographic changes, in the growth of the state, very smart of the question to point out students and veterans. Um, I would tell you um, that when, and especially in 2008, when people were talking about you know young voters, it wasn't about it wasn't about Duke or Chapel Hill to me that was that was interesting. It was about the HBCUs that are scattered throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have a Democratic governor, and we have a real history of, of Democratic governors by and large. Um, we're going to have a marquee race where basically a Doug Mastriano type Republican looks to be the nominee for governor um, next year. Uh, we haven't elected a Republican attorney general since 1896. Um, and so there's a lot happening there. And we've had, you know, fairly recent uh, Democratic um, senators as well. So there's a lot going on. I think they will look at it. I think they're going to look very closely at it. But you know what's interesting to me? We're now like in the last throws of our show here it's the first time we've really even sort of talked about democrats and joe biden and it does raise this question i mean we've beaten to hell uh the issue of his vulnerabilities and the age issue and so on but it does raise this question i want to ask both you guys which is does the trump circus which is going to continue he's probably going to get indicted in georgia in august these you know new york trials coming up early next year um does does this sort of take the onus? I mean, does it take some pressure off of Biden uh, because so much attention is being paid to this Republican race? If it knocks Trump out of the finals, might help Biden. Yeah, it does. And let me say, you know, two things on that with with Biden is, you know, as this circus goes on, we also have had some other changes in the country, specifically the Dobbs decision. And the continuation of this chaos. So if you're somebody who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, but Joe Biden for in 2020, you're not going back for Trump. And especially your suburban voters outside of, you know, the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, outside of Greensboro, Winston-Salem, that's fertile ground for Biden. And they shouldn't, uh, Republicans shouldn't take it for granted, even as Republicans in North Carolina fight amongst themselves still. To the Biden question, I mean, I agree North Carolina is super important. Let me read you a favorable, unfavorable number on two people. I'll use CNN. Favorable, 38%. Unfavorable, 
58%, 20 points underwater, versus favorable 39%, unfavorable 56 So, you know, a few points better for number two and number one. Who's who? Well, they're virtually identical. Yeah, it's a margin of error, but I'm, I'm doing little... Trump is number one. No, that's Biden. Okay. Trump is a point or two better. They're both terrible. We could oh, have a general I mean. election okay. between yeah. things people, uh, candidates people hate. But if I were Biden, I would say it's a good news the Republican civil war has taken all the space, but I've got to do something to fix that or a block of cement might be able to beat me, including Donald Trump. Because, you know, the spotlight, bad as it is, also keeps Trump big in, in the mindset. And if he gets a little better or he wins, the winning means something. So I would. the good news for Biden is the economic data is starting to get better. Inflation has been going down, unemployment. Nobody believes it yet, but if they can move that needle, it'll move this needle. But if I, I were them, I would be, I'd think a lot less about Donald Trump and a lot more about how do we fix the numbers. The wrong track, mid to high 60s. That's really bad. Now, they got time, a lot of time, and things will happen, but there, there's bad mojo out there for him right now, and I think they need a very aggressive plan. You were going to say something, Doug? No, I'm good. <laughs> no, you're you're pitching your new bumper sticker of Trump's the nominee, Tar Heels against Shit Heels. Well, and I don't work. know if you guys saw, but they NCGOP this weekend censured Tom Tillis, the second Republican senator in a row. Yeah, and that you're referring to the Carolina State, North Carolina State Party. Yeah. So, Doug, we have this cool new book club because we like books. And uh, you can check out the books we're pitching online at hacksontap.com slash book club. But tell us your book, and I've got one to pitch today, and then we'll declare victory here. I just recently finished a book called American Ramble, A Walk of Memory and Renewal by King, um, who's an old Wall Street Journal reporter, ex-Wall Street Journal reporter. And basically during COVID, he walked about 330 miles from Washington to New York City, stopping in communities along the way from Valley Forge to a lot of the Pennsylvania Dutch country, um, learning about himself, learning about our history and, you know, those things that that bring us all together, um, you know, in times of uh, where we have a lot of disunity. It is a heartfelt and heartwarming, uplifting book. Not what I would typically read because I'm pretty anti-uplifting. Uh, but it's it's a sensational book to read. I had Neil on my uh, podcast a few weeks back. Uh, it's a wonderful book, and it really is for those who want some relief from the grinding misery of uh, of of some of today's politics. It's an important reminder of what we share as Americans, and I highly recommend it. I will check it out. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Uh, I'm going to pitch a Ross Thomas novel, the late great writer, yeah. kind of a donald westlake type it's a darkly comic novel he wrote a lot of them he was a political hack in his career journalist might have been a cia guy anyway it's called missionary stew one of his best novels is very funny about a political fixer a fundraiser central american politics and almost getting killed in africa a lot of fun missionary stew by ross thomas all right guys we are at the end here but we are not at the end of our conversation and doug we're gonna have to bring you back anytime it's sometime soon to help us sort out the great pageant of democracy. Murphy, <laughs> great to see you, brother. Good to see you, pal. We made our own stew today, and we'll be back to make more. And we are missionaries, yes. See ya. Thank you. Thank you.